Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you are trying to evaluate whether real estate is the right career for you, wondering whether you're doing the right things to launch into quick success, or looking for tips and tools you can use today to become a more productive agent, this is your podcast. Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. This is episode 64, Real Estate Agent Financial Strategies and pitfalls to avoid. Welcome. I'm Meredith Fogel, and Valerie is off at a photo shoot today, so cannot join us, but we do have a special guest for you today. First, we want to thank you so much for listening. We have recently broken 40,000 downloads. Really amazing. We're always astounded by the reaction and response, so thank you for your, uh, your listenership and being part of our audience and our community. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. So last week, we discussed something a little different, some of the career paths or specializations available within the field of real estate. We hope those of you who are just beginning your career in real estate or thinking about what you might want to concentrate on or focus on took some good things away from that episode. Today, we are taking a turn to talk about a subject that can feel a little painful, I would say, to some real estate agents. For me, it's always painful, the financial aspect of the real estate business. And I think it's partially because real estate is like what I call a deferred reward profession, right? Like we don't get paid until we go to settlement. We've actually already executed the job we were hired to do, and then we get paid kind of like after the fact. So... I think it's like you feel like you're almost jinxing it a little bit when you think about the financial aspect of it. And also, if you're a really good real estate agent, I think you never look through the lens of the dollar sign. You always look through service first and know that success follows. Um, But we do need to keep our focus on the financial aspect of our business as well in order to avoid some even more painful things that can happen when we don't. So we have a special guest with us to help us understand the importance of keeping a focus on our finances, strategies that can help you hold on to more of your hard-earned commission dollars, and some pitfalls to avoid. As we always do, we're going to start with a quote. This one is from P.T. Barnum, who said, money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. So how do we become the master of our finances Get a handle on how to save and to invest soundly so that the money we work so hard for starts to work for us and serves us well. Our special guest is here to tell us. So welcome, Heath Chavis. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Meredith. Of course. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So Heath is a CPA and a financial planner. And full disclosure, he is our CPA and financial planner. And I love that you have both of those trades um, kind of like joined because you get to see the full picture. And a struggle we always had before we met you was trying to, like the left hand understanding what the right hand was doing financially and, you know, in terms of our tax situation and our our corporate structure, and then also trying to figure out how that fit with our overall financial plan. So you solve all of those issues for us. Um, so you are the person we go to when we have any question. <laughs> <laughs> You're always so kind. Though so it was one day we were driving back from the Tesla dealership, and for this, it's like what is it now? It's December 2021. If you're listening to this in the future, hopefully I will have my Tesla. I ordered it almost a full year ago. Still don't have it, but anyway, we were coming back all excited and like, okay, how should we do this? Should we do this via lease? Should we do it like through a purchase? And you were so nice. It was like a Sunday afternoon. You answered your phone. You talked us through it. 
helped us make a good decision. And that's what you do is you help people make good financial decisions um, in both your pers- their personal and business lives. You also happen to be a resident of our, resident of our community <laughs> and a friend. So welcome. I know I didn't cover everything. So please introduce yourself. Tell our audience a little about you and your background. Absolutely. That was actually a fantastic summary, much more oh. than I usually get. So thank you very sure. much. Sure. <laughs> uh, like Mary said, I am a, uh, I'm a CPA and a financial advisor. I've been doing this for about 15 years now. And I try to mainly focus on small businesses, individuals, and helping them with their uh, both tax situation and financial situation. Because usually with small business owners, such as real estate agents or any type of other independent contractor, the majority of your income well, at least at first, come from your business. So finding a way to maximize those returns, minimize your tax liability, and figure out how you can uh, really reach all of your financial goals so you don't have to do this forever is what I try to do. As much as everybody loves working, uh, it's always nice to, as you hit your golden years a little bit, maybe cut back a little bit and not feel the pressure to you know do this every day and have to wake up, but to really become financially free. And Utilizing the skills that you have to be able to do that is what I try to help people do every day. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's so important. It was funny you were reminding me. We were recently at a Tom Ferry um, event with like six thousand agents in the room, and he asked, "Okay, show of hands, who wants to do this until they drop dead?" And like two people raised their hands, and he's like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> um, but I mean, in all seriousness, like we don't work to work ourselves into the ground, right? We work to become financially free. Absolutely. So to your point, that's that should be everybody's goal. Um, and, you know, part of it is so you have to, never have to worry about your finances so that you can make your money work for you. But so you can do the things that you work for, which hopefully is not just accumulate more money. <laughs> All right. So I got a lot of questions for you. And please feel free to chime in and share anything you think would be helpful for our audience to know. And I have a funny feeling we're not going to cover everything today, but we'll cover the basics, I think. Um, so first of all, Why do you think it's important for real estate agents to understand the basics of their personal and business finances? When you're a real estate agent and you're just starting out, you may have been coming from a W-2 job where you were an employee somewhere else. You may not have been paying your own taxes. You may not have been running your own business like you are when you first start becoming a real estate agent. So understanding your taxes and finances are of the utmost importance because you really don't want to get in a bind with the IRS. They're the worst creditor Mm -hmm. that you can be involved with. So making sure that when you do get that commission check, because you've provided great client service, somebody's trusted you enough to help them with one of the biggest purchases of their life, you now have this commission check that you've got, but it's not all yours. Uh, What I always tell people is when you're first starting out, 40% of whatever you get needs to go into a separate savings account just for taxes because it's not yours, it's Uncle Sam's. Mm. And the reason I say 40% is when you're just starting out, your tax is all self-employment tax, meaning you're responsible for paying both your income tax rate as well as self-employment taxes, which is 15.3% all the way up to $147,000 this year of income. So if your income tax rate is called 15%, you have another 15% for self-employment tax and you have state taxes on top of that, if you happen to be in a state that has a state uh, state income tax, Mm -hmm. it can very easily creep up to 33, 35%. And the reason I say 40 
It's because then it gives you a little bit more of a cushion. You know you're able to live on a little bit less. Mm -hmm. And I don't just come at things from a tax perspective. I also look at it from a financial perspective as well. So when you're going out on your own, you're running your own business, being able to sustain yourself, to be able to make sure that you're able to do this for the long run uh, is very, very important in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. You make a really good point. Um, I think keeping it separate is is very important, but you, you made me think about, I remember when I first started getting like my big commission checks and I was like, cha-ching, like in my head, you know, <laughs> and I'd come home and I'd hand one to my husband and I'd be like, check it out. And he'd be like, so let's say it's a $20,000 check. He'd be like, you know, that's really like $10,000. And I was like, you're so mean. <laughs> Let me have a minute to celebrate. But I, I understood, even though I still think it's kind of mean, what he was doing was helping me psychologically be like, okay, we're not like millionaires now. Correct. We are having to pay almost half of that out toward the government. It's, and it's a tough thing to do. So yes. that's it's one of the other things that I try to do is figure out how you can minimize that liability. Mm. And as you start to make more and more money, there are other options that are available to you. And the biggest one is going to be your entity structure. Mm. So what we were just talking about is if you're a single member LLC or a sole proprietor, mm-hmm. all of your income is taxed on your personal return on your 1040 mm-hmm. via Schedule C. So all of that income subject to self-employment tax. When you start to make enough, you can open yourself up and explore other opportunities like, uh, like electing to be taxed as an S corporation. Mm-hmm. What that can do potentially is allow some of your income not to be subject to self-employment tax and reduce that liability down. You can also, as a real estate agent, one of the nice deductions from the new tax law from 2017, well, it's not so new anymore, feels new still, but (laughs) since 2017, as real estate agents, you can deduct 20% of your gross income up to 50% of wages. Not any other service type of profession is allowed to do that. Me as a CPA, uh, I'm precluded from taking that 20% deduction if I make too much money. Hmm. Lawyers, doctors are not allowed to do that. Real estate agents have a fantastic lobby. So oh, you guys get a lot of to great perks. people there out there. <laughs> wow. That's so you can do that and you can take a 20% deduction up to 50% of wages. But if you're a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, a lot of times you won't be able to do that. So understanding your entity structure can be very, very important. And depending on your specific situation... Yeah, it, it, it always depends on what the specific situation is for you, but we can definitely talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to circle back to that. It's kind of an advanced um, concept a little bit, but I do want to touch on it in a little more detail because I think it is important for agents to understand. And this is kind of one of the little seeds I plant when I bring a new agent on. First, I tell them my precautionary tale, which is don't get your eye on the prize and not do what you just said to do, which is take the money and put it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And to that, any kind of account, just like just put it in just any separate account. I would say savings account okay. because you're not going to do anything with that money. You don't want to invest it and then lose it. Right. Uh, you look at March 2020, the whole market went down about 40%. Yeah. So if you took your tax account money that was set aside for taxes, you invest it. Now you lose 40% on that. Yeah. You still have to pay the tax. So I always say put it in a simple savings account or another checking account, but segregate it out so you don't, it's out of sight, out of mind. Right. And then you don't really have to focus on it, which is, I think, what we have so much trouble doing. Why do you think that is that agents have so much trouble focusing on finances? Do you find that to be like a a kind of a, a constant theme? 
I think that it's not exclusive just to agents. Okay. A lot of times what I found is it's it's almost industry agnostic. Hmm. Whenever somebody starts their own business, they're starting their own business because they're very good at what they do. And they have a service or a product that they want to offer. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're focused on more than anything else. So when you do get that commission check, when you do get that, uh, um, when you get that money for selling a widget or whatever you're doing, you now have this money that's in your checking account. You're not focused on the tax aspect of it. You're focused on growing your business and making sure you're doing a good job, providing the best client service you possibly can. So like, like I said before, any industry where you're starting out, especially real estate agents, I think that it's good to segregate that out. And I think it is because you're so focused on the new rules. Yeah. Right. There, it, here in the DMV, you have three different jurisdictions that yeah. you can work in. So you have all these different things that you're trying to do. You're trying to market and grow your business. You're not necessarily focused on the tax aspect of it. So uh, like you said, you include it as a cautionary tale. It's something that I always tell people yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. So and my cautionary tale is, I think I've shared this with you, Chris may have, that my first year that I did really, really well in real estate, we got hit with a $36,000 tax bill at the end of the year, and I could have no sooner bought a jet. So I embarrassingly had to set up a payment plan with the IRS. I mean, I paid it at least. And I know a lot of agents who are in a lot of trouble with the IRS and have huge tax liens. Um, Because they, I guess, I don't know what happens. Do they just bury their head in the sand or they just can't pay it? Like what what happens? Uh, People just don't realize. Uh, There's a lot of, there's not a lot of education out there about the tax system. So until Mm. you get hit with it the first time, it's, it's really, really tough, which is one of the reasons I always try to get out as much as I can. I go speak at podcasts like this to get the information out to 40,000 people. Uh, especially 40,000 agents who are going to be in this position is crucial. So the more education there is out there, the better it's going to be because the one person nobody wants to give money to is the IRS. You want to minimize your liability as much as you can, take as many deductions as you can that are are legal, and you make sure that you structure yourself to to minimize that liability. But knowing there will be a tax liability Mm -hmm. um, will be really the first step. Not everybody's reducing their tax liability down to zero. Right, right. So to your question about or your point about deductions, so when you have like a little what feels like a little windfall of money, so you said it's it's industry agnostic, it could be anybody, any kind of entrepreneur who's like, okay, I just made a lot of money. A lot of our first instinct is to reinvest a big chunk of that back into the business. Mm-hmm. Is that you take the that 40% out first and then you use what's left to reinvest or do you do that Pre-tax, how do you do that? So it's 40% of your net income is what I say to set aside. So if you are focused on growing your business, say you do get that $30,000 commission check Mm -hmm. and you know that you want really want to market yourself. So you take that $30,000 that you got and you put it into Facebook ads or Zillow or wherever it is to market yourself. Mm -hmm. Your net income is now zero. So there will be no tax liability because if you reinvest into the business, then that reduces your net income, which will reduce your tax liability. Okay. You obviously need some money to live, <laughs> too. <laughs> Unless you're staying somewhere for free, you're not doing anything else. Uh, there will be probably some tax yeah. liability to pay on that net income, but it's net income that you need to save 40% of. So to the Got extent it. that you do want to market and put money back into the business, absolutely do that. But just make sure you do it smartly because – if you're spending $30,000 to generate $30,000 of income, you can stay home and make no money. So there's no point in even getting up to do that. So the point of doing all this is definitely yeah. to earn money. And you do that by 
like you said before, providing great client service and making sure that you're spending your money wisely. Yeah. 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 And having someone like you to rely on when we are, we have a question about, is this a wise place to spend money or mm-hmm. not? You can help with that. What are, besides the being able to, to take that, that deduction, what other financial considerations or concerns do you think are like unique to the real estate profession? I think that making sure that you can set yourself up and diversify via mm. either some sort of retirement plan yes. in addition to the real estate that many real estate agents want to buy. Many of the agents that I work with, you guys have right of first refusal on everything you see. Mm-hmm. So if you see a good deal and yeah. you're able to do it, yeah, I see a lot of them snag them up. Mm-hmm. What a lot of agents run into and a lot of people who invest in real estate run into is that real estate is a very illiquid investment. The only ways to get money out of real estate are really to refinance or to sell. Yeah. So if you can build up equity, you can refinance. Fantastic. That's how you can pull money out. Yeah. What I always try to tell people to do is at least diversify to make sure that you do have some, at least an emergency fund Okay. set aside. So you have six months of just liquid cash. So that's in savings. That's just in savings. Okay. So have six months, save up to months. Okay. Just so if something happens to you and you can't work, make sure that you have money to pay your bills, to pay your rent, to pay your mortgage, whatever that may be. Okay. Uh, but also, like I was saying, to diversify, where put 30% of what you have in some sort of stock or mutual fund okay. or something that's going to grow with the market as a diversifier to real estate. Real estate and stocks, both of them are cyclical. So yeah. if you're able to diversify into both, then whether the real estate market is doing well, stock market's not doing so well, mm-hmm. hopefully your returns will be streamlined mm-hmm. as they increase. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be everything, yeah. but people that don't want to invest in real estate, I'll often tell them to at least invest into a REIT mm-hmm. to get some sort of real estate exposure. Yeah. So that yeah. way, at least you're diversified. That's a good respect. subject to talk about. That's another another advanced concept, but that's a good one for a future episode. Mm-hmm. Um And what do you think about, because the tax laws are always changing, um, and you have had us switch from one type of corporation, one type of entity to another in response to a relatively recent tax law change. But what do you think agents need to be doing to keep um, abreast of those changes? Or should they be like relying on somebody to help them with that? What's your advice there? I think once you get to a certain point, it's always good to at least speak with a professional. Mm -hmm. If you're making $30,000, dollars $50,000, in commissions, then you can probably rely on TurboTax and stay with your Schedule C. And if you want to pay somebody to do it, you certainly can. Uh, I want everybody to do what they're comfortable with. But as you start to you know make eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars, it's certainly worth speaking with someone to determine what type of entity should you be, how much tax savings can you have, what's realistic for you to actually be saving or to put away, because. A lot of people that I come in contact with, I'm able to save just from entity structures anywhere from eight to $12,000 a year. Wow. And that's year after year after year. Yeah. So it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Everybody's situation you know, is obviously unique. And that's something that I would encourage everyone to at least speak with some a professional, whether it's 15, 20 minutes to at least understand their personal situation and know what they're getting into or what they're foregoing. Yeah. So contact someone for like a consultation. You're saying. Correct. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And at okay. least you know, most, I know I don't charge for a consultation because okay. uh, I want to make sure that it's the right fit for anybody that I'm working with and other accounting firms yeah. and financial firms that I've worked at do the same thing because whenever you're working with somebody, you have to have a good fit uh, for it to make sense. 
And so you've mentioned that like eighty, ninety thousand dollar is that that's kind of like the threshold people should kind of be thinking about maybe incorporating or becoming an entity rather than just potentially, potentially. potentially. But okay. I think if you're making forty or fifty thousand dollars, you can certainly talk to someone. Yeah, but it may not be worth the cost yeah. for them for you to have somebody prepare your return or talk right. to them. Uh, right. If you feel more comfortable having somebody else do it for yeah. you. Absolutely. I would never discourage okay. somebody from reaching out. But I think by the time you're making eighty or $90,000, you should definitely be reaching out to somebody. Whether you choose to work with them or not, yeah. you should definitely be reaching out to somebody to make sure that you understand your personal situation yeah. and where you are. Because like I was saying, the 15% self-employment tax, if you're making $80,000, that's $12,000 of self-employment tax mm-hmm. that you're paying. Mm-hmm. If you have expenses that you're not recording on your return. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you have a retirement plan that you're not taking advantage of, if you're not yeah. taking advantage of the mileage deduction, mm-hmm. there are so many different expenses as a real estate agent that you are able to take advantage yeah, of. We would have no idea. That you would have. Yeah. Some people don't have any idea. Yeah. And that's what I always try to make sure people do understand. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that reminded me of another thing, which is um, taking a deduction for office space in your house. And I know a lot of people are working from home right now. And this is not a question I had on our our list to talk about today, but you just reminded me of this. What's your advice in general to people on taking like a deduction for space used toward business in their homes? So every real estate agent should definitely have a home office. You need to have an area in your home that's specifically dedicated to real estate. That is your office that's not used for anything else. The reason for that is when you leave in the morning, your first appointment that you go to, you can then take the mileage deduction. (laughs) Because if you don't have a home office... The first appointment you go to is considered commuting, and you're technically not allowed to take those miles as a deduction. If you have a home office, then all the miles that you drive into the first appointment you go to or the last one when you're driving home, all of that is now deductible. So different things that make sure that you tell the correct story to the IRS and to make sure that you're actually doing what you say you're doing Mm -hmm. is of the utmost importance. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's really interesting about the mileage. Of course, for me, I, I work like 0.2 <laughs> miles from my house, so it doesn't really work that well. Um, and what do you think in terms of structuring like a threshold or percentage rule of thumb for spending on marketing? Do you give advice on that to people? Because usually like in the business, they say try to keep your expenses, your marketing expenses within about 15% of your total. Does that sound about right? That's it's a very good rule of thumb. Okay. Because like we were saying before, with the $30,000 of marketing expenses yeah. to generate $30,000 of income, yeah. it's not worth it. You can right. stay home and make no money. Right. But to make sure that the marketing dollars that you're putting in are generating the return that you want them to yeah. is very important. That's why I always advocate for my clients to utilize QuickBooks, utilize some sort of accounting system to analyze your key performance indices, your KPIs, to make sure that if you are going into a new area, mm-hmm. How much does it cost you to get into that area in terms of marketing, to establish a presence, to do anything? If you don't have good books and records, you might know anecdotally or you might have a good idea of what the numbers are in your head, but you may be way off. The numbers don't lie. So understanding your specific situation, knowing where your marketing dollars are going, knowing does putting an ad on shopping carts at the local grocery store, does Mm -hmm. that help you? Do radio ads work for you? Do newspaper ads work for you? Understanding where your advertising dollars are going and what's generating the greatest return is what I always try to advocate. So not just from a tax perspective, but really just from a general business perspective. How do you run your business? 
what's working for you is really what you want to look at. Yeah. And I would say in general, about that same threshold of income is about where you want to try to get someone to help you track those things. Mm -hmm. Because when you get really busy, busy working in your business, we just all have the proclivity to kind of let the tracking of those things go. And you like kind of know something's working. So maybe you just throw more money at the things that are are working or bring on the next shiny object. Cause if all those other things worked, probably more stuff's going to work too. Right. Um, And you lose focus on what truly is working and where your money is going, which you always need to to be aware of. If you're not good at it, which like I'm not good at it. So I have you (laughs) because that's not something that is in my, in my ability set. Um, how often do you think that real estate agents should plan to pay their taxes? So I think this is going to sound like, I think we pay quarterly. I don't actually even know what we do. Um, but I do know that that one year that was like a horrible lesson for us. I was like, clearly we can never do this again. Like we have to somehow keep in front of this, but by the same token, I'm like, but I don't want to give the IRS money that could be working for me somewhere else. So what's your advice on that? Real estate's a very cyclical business. So in the springtime, it's going to be a little busier. You might make more money. And then you might go three or four months and not have any money coming in. So you're absolutely correct. Making sure that you're not giving the IRS money that's really going to impact your cash flow uh, is very important. So I always tell people to at least analyze their income quarterly, which again is why it's very important to have a good set of books and records so you know what your net income is Mm -hmm. for any given quarter. So we can determine most of the time you have goals for the year. So you can run a tax projection to see what you think your taxes will be at the end of the year and base your quarterly payments on that. If you happen to make a little more one quarter, you can still stay on that schedule. If you happen to make a little more the next quarter, you may need to think about increasing the quarterly payment that you make. But I try to tell people to at least pay something quarterly. Okay. And then you can always do what's called safe harboring yourself. What does that mean? So if you pay 110% of your prior year tax liability, you won't owe any penalties to the IRS for underpayment. You may owe some interest, which is 4% annualized, which really isn't that much, but you won't owe any underpayment penalties. So let's say you had $10,000 in tax liability one year, Mm -hmm. and then you make a million dollars the next year. Mm -hmm. As long as you pay in at least $11,000 in estimated taxes, you won't owe any penalties. On any underpayment, you may owe interest, but not penalties. Okay. So there are two separate calculations there. And for all of my clients, you know, like what we just did, we analyze where your income statement, what your income looks like Mm -hmm. at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And if we need to adjust that fourth quarter quarterly payment, then we go ahead and do that. We can increase it or decrease it however we need to. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, thank you for doing that. Absolutely. (laughs) I pay quarterly, it sounds like. That's (laughs) that's good. Seems like it makes sense. All right. Um, And then tell us a little bit about... What um when it like what the different types of incorporation are and we're gonna definitely need a part two of this because I can't believe the time's going so fast already but um I remember feeling very overwhelmed when the idea of incorporating was first introduced to me which was many which was decades ago now but I'm like what do you do do you have to go to a lawyer how do you and someone has to be the president and someone has to be the vice president it sounded very intimidating and then as it turned out it was actually like really simple and our first incorporation I think was as an LLC and then we switched different corporation types but. Um, what are the different types? What, you know, as, as sort of like summarily as we can put it for the listeners, and then we'll, we'll dive more deeply into it in another, another episode, but what are the available types for agents and kind of when does it make sense to think about the different types of entity structures? So there are five main types of entity structures. There's going to be a sole proprietor, a single member LLC, a partnership, a corporation, 
and an S corporation. Okay. So two of those are taxed very similarly. A sole proprietorship and a single member LLC are both taxed on your personal tax return on a Schedule C. Okay. A partnership is good if you have two or more agents and you want the flexibility to give one of the partners more or less profit or loss depending on how much they're bringing to the business. A lot of times two agents feel like they can come together, leverage their marketing services together, leverage their team, but they want to bring in their own commissions and be paid on that. Mm -hmm. So they're really just sharing expenses. So a partnership can Mm -hmm. be very, very good for that. A C corporation, I generally don't see that much in the real estate industry. The reason being is you have double taxation when you Mm. have a C corporation. You're taxed on your profits, Mm -hmm. which is a maximum of 21%. And then when you take money out, you also have to pay dividends on that. So there's a double taxation there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when you have a C corporation, you will zero out your income by paying it all via a W-2 which is a very inefficient way mm. for a business owner to be taxed. I think we were a C corp when we first met we you. We were, right? yeah. correct. Okay. So the last one is an S corporation, which is a lot of times you can have an LLC, which is a legal structure, and elect to have that LLC be taxed as an S corporation. Huh. With an S corporation, you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. And Meredith can see I'm using air quotes here <laughs> because there is no definition as to right. what's reasonable. Right. But you will receive two different types of income. You receive your W-2 income for your reasonable salary. And the rest of that income will come through to you on a K-1, which also allows you to take that 20% qualified Mm. business income tax deduction and a whole host of other deductions, as well as reducing your risk of an IRS audit, uh, as opposed to having all that income Mm. on your Schedule C of your personal return. So, why does it reduce the risk of an audit? uh, When you have over $100,000 of gross income Mm -hmm. on your Schedule C, the risk of an audit is about 2.3%. An S corporation and C corporation and partnership returns are audited at about a 0.4% rate by the IRS. So by having your income on a Schedule C, it's about five to six times more likely that your tax return would be audited. Still very low risk of an audit. Much greater. Correct. But it is definitely greater than when you have an entity set up. So, yeah. and those are statistics from the 2018, the most recent ones that I have available uh, to, to look at. So, it's one of those things that, in addition to saving you money, it can also save you potentially some stress and headache from yeah. the IRS. And then there are other protections <clears throat> that come through incorporation or forming a legal entity, right? That's correct. When you have a legal entity set up, whether it's a single member LLC, a C corporation, S corporation, partnership, anybody who could potentially sue you would only be allowed to go after the assets that are in the actual entity itself. Mm -hmm. And this gets into more of a legal Mm -hmm. uh, parameters, which I'm not a lawyer. I know enough to be dangerous. (laughs) uh, And it also goes back to bookkeeping, where you don't want to commingle your accounts. If you do have a legal entity set up, any income you get should go into that bank account. Any expenses you get or you make from your business should go out of that account. And you don't want to commingle because then you do what's called piercing the corporate veil, which then precludes you from getting any type of legal protection because you just have an entity in form, not in substance. Interesting. Okay. So how Hmm. careful does one have to be asking for a friend? So like, (laughs) let's say you have a a business credit card and you accidentally charged a personal expense on that. Like, how do you, how bad is that? How do you fix it if that happens? Once in a while it happens. Yeah. No big deal. You just don't want to make a habit of it. And a lot of people that come to me the first year, 
they may not have a separate business account set up, even though they have a business. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I always try to do with people is make sure you have a business, you have an LLC, yeah. treat it as such. and Really keep it separate. Correct. Yeah. Don't commingle. You know, yeah. Keep two credit cards in your wallet. I do. I just sometimes grab the wrong Sometimes one. people forget. Not that often. Happens. If you're listening to IRS, I've done it like a one time. So <laughs> don't come after me. Uh, but I think that's really, I mean, having my mom is a, um, a speech pathologist and had a private practice and she got audited once. And I mean, it was a nightmare. It was such a, a time suck for her. And mm-hmm. I, I've always had that like in my head as something I never want. And I've always been very careful with how I do things in record keeping partially to try to avoid that. But that's great that having the, the corporate structure in place also Absolutely. helps to helps to prevent that. Um, and so let's ask last question here. Are there any investments that in your mind make the most sense for real estate agents? So you mentioned like a, a mutual fund or something like that. You mentioned real estate, obviously, like that's a kind of a no brainer for an agent. But is there anything else you can think of that an agent should be investing in? So if you want to just for one second, talk about the REIT, because that's, let's, let's just like kind of tease with that. And then we can, we can do that in another episode. Cause that's something I think you talked to us about that when you came to a training at our office back in the old space, that was really intriguing. And I don't think anybody knew what that was. So most people don't know. And what, what, what we were talking about then was called a Delaware statutory trust mm-hmm. or a DSD. And the way I've helped a lot of agents do that is a Delaware statutory trust is a type of 1031 exchange which means that when you have a highly appreciated piece of real estate that's not a primary residence, mm-hmm. you can sell that piece of real estate, invest it into another piece of real estate, and defer all of the gains on that transaction. A lot of people have rental properties that are highly appreciated and are tired of managing them. So by utilizing a Delaware statutory trust, what that allows you to do is sell the piece of real estate, invest all of the proceeds into a Delaware statutory trust, which is a professionally managed property, allow you to receive rental income from it, but have no management responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So it allows you to do a 1031 exchange and the new property is a commercial piece of property, whether it's self-storage, hospitality, um, medical. Uh, I do a lot of student housing now because that that's all there. So, there are many different asset classes you can invest into and it just allows you to get essentially mailbox money, which is yeah. very similar to the net rent that you would have been receiving on the relinquished property. Mm-hmm. So definitely a, I think you said a topic to get more into yeah. it another time, but Delaware statutory trust is what it's called. And a lot of times it helps more agents sell real estate or list properties because a lot of times people don't want to sell because they're scared of the capital gains. Right. So Especially this is now. a way yeah. to really, you know, help some agents generate, you know, sales yeah. where there wouldn't be sales there before. Yeah. That, I think it's so interesting. We'll talk about that more. Okay. So to conclude, the only last thing I want to just to touch on real quick is <laughs> general pitfalls agents should avoid that we haven't covered. And we're going to encourage all of you who are listening Send us questions because we're going to do another episode that is answers to your specific questions. Although don't get like state specific if you can help it. Get like general financial specific. But he can answer a lot of, of a lot of your questions for you. And we'll share his contact information with your permission at the end. Uh, but pitfalls agents should look out for. Make sure that you set enough money aside for taxes. I know we talked about that, but that's the biggest pitfall okay. that I see. Yeah. Second is spending your money wisely. Uh, the reason I did bring up the marketing example is 
I've seen a lot of agents, especially new agents, just spend money on on horrible, horrible things. Um, <laughs> like so what? Give me an example. Mainly, mainly marketing, investing in things that they okay. don't need. Yeah. Um, you know, buying, Being sold buying on a product, product or an yeah, app or just, something. Just lots of, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay. So making sure that you understand what you're spending your money yeah. on. Growing your business and partnering with people that will really be beneficial to you and help you grow your business. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people will think that it's going to happen quickly and it can, but it's one of those things where I think you said it best in the beginning is developing the service first and the money will follow from that. Building up a a reputation for being client-oriented and service-oriented first and then the money will follow from that. So invest in your service and your expertise, and then you'll have money to invest in other things. Awesome. Good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Such good info. I feel like we have so much more to share. If people have questions, how they how can they get in contact with you? Uh, people can find me on my website at www.ibcgrouptax.com, or they can feel free to reach out to me uh, via email at hchavis at ibcgrouptax.com. Or my phone number is 301-327-1040. All right. Thank you. And he's a great resource. Don't call him on Sunday afternoon like I did. That's a bad example. But um, yeah, full of knowledge, fabulous resource, and all around really nice, great guy. So thank you. Thank you again. All right. Our next episode is going to be about overcoming the fear of rejection, a skill every real estate agent needs to have mastered. The thicker your skin, the longer you're going to last in this business. Thank you again for listening. Please remember to leave us feedback, send us your questions, leave us a review or rating. It would mean the world to us. This has been So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. We'll see you next time. We are so grateful you joined us today on So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you're still not sure real estate is the right career for you, tune in to our next episodes. If you're more sure than ever, tune into future episodes for more tips, tools, and insider secrets that will help you launch into productive action and achieve quick success. Just a reminder that we love reviews. Please let us know what you like best about this podcast, what we could do better, ask us questions, or send us show ideas. Check out our show notes page for our contact info or visit our website, therealestaterainmakers.com for access to the tools, tips, systems, and other great resources we mentioned on the show. I'm Meredith Vogel. And Valerie Harnell. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.